We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The hottest next tape you'll find online. Next all day. We bleed blue and orange. This is Knicks Fan TV, your one-stop shop for the ultimate New York Knicks fan experience. News, rumors, debates, post-game live streams featuring live callers. Let's go Knicks, baby! And now, your host, CP, the NY Fanatic. Fanatic.tv, I'm Ian Begley, SNY's NBA Insider, and I am joined by two great guests to talk about Knicks, off season, a little bit on Knicks Heat, and we got a lot to get into. But I've got John Schumann, NBA.com, uh, just in my mind, really sharp writer, gives you great, great analysis, great perspective on all around the league. And if you ever want to catch up on the league, you just go to, to read the latest that John has put together, and he'll catch you up, uh, and it'll be very informative. So be sure to check out John's work if you're not already. And of course, we got CP. The franchise, host, creator, founder, Knicks Fan TV. He doesn't need my introduction. You already know who he is, and we're gonna we're gonna get into it all with CP and John. And guys, we'll start here just to put a bow on it. CP, what did you think was the biggest reason the Knicks fell to the Heat? Well, I thought the Heat's experience certainly took over. When you look at Jimmy Butler, the coaching advantage with Eric Spolstra, Kyle Lowry having an outstanding, outstanding series. Um, and also the Knicks' strengths were were negated as that series drew on, whether it was the bench points, you know, the Knicks' bench being dominated, especially with Emmanuel quickly being ineffective and then ultimately injured. Uh, Bam Adebayo was able to neutralize the Knicks on the boards, limiting their chances of getting second-chance points. And then even though uh, the Knicks made a valiant effort, they made a valiant comeback and ex- an outstanding game five at MSG in, in game six, I-, I just felt like it came down to uh, the big three was only a big one. It was Jalen Brunson and his 41 point heroics, but you just needed more from Julius Randle and RJ Barrett in that game. I thought if they had at least 75% of what they gave in game five, they could have forced the game seven back at MSG and they never know. Maybe today we're talking about a uh, miraculous comeback rather than a, a defeat in six games. And, John, you were there, I know, for games at the Garden. And What did you see in that series that hurt the Knicks? Well, first of all, CP made great points um, about the bench, about the rebounding, um, about the Heat's execution. I thought it at, when it came down to it, even game six, I think it was a lot of just execution 
um, versus the the opposing defense. You've came down to it like both the both teams were defending each other the sort of the same way, bring, trying to bring two to the ball. And I thought the the Heat were just better at playing four on three. Like they they double teamed Jalen Brunson, he got rid of the ball, and the Knicks were a little stagnant as when, once the ball moved. They weren't able to get you know good shots out of that. Where the Heat were able to do that when the Knicks uh, brought two to the ball against Jimmy Butler, they they moved the ball and got better shots. They they moved better. They with the ball moved better. The, the players moved better. They were just more uh, intentional. Uh, once the ball started to move, then the, then the Knicks were ultimately. I think that was the that was the um, you know sort of the story of the end of Game Six, especially the Knicks were there. You know they had a shot. Um, you know we can't you know forget that ultimately they were really close to making the conference finals. Um, but ultimately, you know the execution I thought in Game Six was was really different on both ends of the floor. Now you look at that series and you wonder how much it informs the Knicks going forward. We know when they last made the playoffs, that Atlanta series, I think that caused them to say, hey, we need creation off the dribble. We need a shooter. And they ended up with Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier. Obviously, it didn't work out the way they had hoped it to. Um, CP, based on the Heat series, but really everything in totality, yeah. what do you think the biggest need for the Knicks this offseason is? So I would put it in three things, three things. Number one, three-point shooting, badly. Uh, in the regular season, they were a bad three-point shooting team. They have been that way since Tibbs got here. Uh, they're just not an efficient three-point shooting team, and that carried over into the playoffs. I had always wondered if a team like the Knicks, who are near the bottom of the league in effective field goal percentage, could have a good offense into the playoffs. It was able to work against the Cavs, but against the Heat, uh, it was just too many bricklayers, man. They have to address the need uh, for shooting. Uh, Secondly, I think they have to figure out offensively whether or not this is the right system for the personnel that they have. Because along with the the bottom of the league shooting numbers, the Knicks for the last three years are also in near last in almost every passing statistic. They don't move the ball well. They don't generate enough assists. And so you have to figure out, is this offense right for the personnel that we have? Do we have the right decision makers, high IQ players that can make this work? Jalen Brunson certainly has proven to be that, but Julius Randle has been shaky in that regard. So I think that needs to be addressed. And then lastly, I think they need to go out and get another wing defender. Uh, Josh Hart, Quentin Grimes, they certainly play uh, hard. They play physical. They're good defenders, but I think at times they are undersized at that position. And so I think the Knicks need to go out there and try to get a 3 and D wing. They don't grow on trees, but I mean, that's what they need to address either in the draft or free agency. And, John, to seeing this Nick team across the season, but particularly in the postseason as you did, what would you do if you're Leon Rose? You know, put your, put your team president cap on for a second. What would your, 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 excuse me, your biggest priority be if you were running the Knicks? Again, I agree with CP. I think with Brunson, they have the star that's going to draw – extra attention from opposing defenses and they need the right compliments for him. That includes one, you know, shooting. Um, and then two, maybe a, a, a sort of a four or five guy who can, who can distribute the ball, right? Like if he's going to draw that extra defender, um, who's he passing to? And is that guy going to make the right decisions? Like you would like a, a, a Draymond Green who could shoot, and obviously, that's that's you know as as good as it gets when it comes from uh, from a four or five. Um, but maybe Randall isn't the best compliment, right? Like you saw a lot in that series where 
two came to Brunson, the ball moved, it got to Julius Randle, and it stopped, Stop. right? And sometimes sometimes he'd score out of that. You know, he'd ISO and score. But there were other times where, you know, he'd take a bad shot or he'd just stop it and, and they'd, they'd, get a, they'd end up late in the clock and, get, and not get a good shot. So I think that the, it has to come in a, in a, a mentality, the, the sort of, you know, 0.5 mentality that a lot of teams talk about where, you know, once it starts moving, it can't stop, right? And Thibodeau talks that all the time. Like you ask him, he said, yeah, trust the pass. The ball's got to move. But that didn't translate to the to the guys on the floor. Yeah, I would say with Randall, I don't think that was like the every time he got the ball, he had tunnel vision. I thought he moved it pretty well for stretches of the postseason. I, I think the issue was also on the other side of the ball where he wasn't giving you 100% when he was rotating, um, when he was getting out to shooters each time he was on the floor. Sometimes it was there, sometimes it wasn't. But interesting uh, to see what happens with Julius Randle. We'll get to that in a bit. But one thing I'm curious about is, like, do they just go a mi- see a minor move as a way to improve this roster, or do you look at a bigger move as a way to improve the roster? Because either way, you have to improve. I don't know if you if you fall backwards again, just like you did after making the playoffs against the Hawks. I don't think that's going to sit well with everybody. So you got to improve. And I know that at least, you know, internally they – there's been, you know, discussions, internal discussions about some bigger names, players who could help with shooting, certainly, um, but would, it would cost a lot to get those players. Uh, I don't know exactly what they're thinking is right now, but those scenarios have, had been discussed uh, late in the season, so we'll see where they go. But I'm wondering, uh, with you guys, how would you approach Julius Randle's situation? Would you keep him? Would you try to package him for uh, a high-profile player? How would you work with Randall and what what he based on what he's done in the playoffs of the regular season, John? Well, I mean, it it depends both as far as trading one of your guys or trying to acquire somebody. It depends on what's out there, right? You don't want to make a move just for the sake of making a move if it's going to make you take a step backward or if it's going to sap all your assets um, that could help you with help you make a move, you know, two or three years down the line. So I, I think it all depends on what's there. I don't know much as far as availability of, of stars. You know, you could talk about Damian Lillard, but that doesn't work well with, with Brunson, obviously. Um, you can talk about maybe a Bradley Beal with Washington changing its front office uh, leadership. Um, that might be a better compliment. Um, but, of course, you don't necessarily want to give up too much for that and then put all your, all your you know, assets into the backcourt and not have enough defense, uh, like CP said, on the wing. Yeah, I think when it comes to assets, it's interesting. I was talking to ESPN's Bobby Marks uh, earlier today, and he was saying that he thought that Mitchell Robinson made a significant leap in terms of how other teams would view him uh, based on his play this season, uh, similar to Emmanuel Quickly making a big leap in terms of his value uh, how other teams would value him in potential trade talks. And I go back to those Donovan Mitchell talks, and, you know, it seems clear to me that those two guys, and Grimes, Quentin Grimes too, I think, has increased their value. So you talk about those guys, putting those guys in packages as a different value to those packages today than there was in the offseason. CP, uh, dream scenario for you, including Randall or not including Randall, who do the Knicks bring in via trade 
Well, you got to see what's going on in Philadelphia with Doc Rivers being fired today. Uh, that James Harden to Houston rumors are getting hot again. And so where would that leave Embiid? Would he be willing to stay in Philadelphia uh, and rebuild with a Maxi and, and whoever else you may get from Houston for Harden? So that's certainly the name that, that you would look to target. I don't think Booker is a realistic option at this point. Carl Anthony Towns, I'm really not high on a Carl Anthony Towns move. And so for right now, you just never know who's going to be available, right? Well, just like Spider Mitchell, we weren't we didn't know that he was going to become available last offseason. So you have to wait and see how things play out. Uh, but on the Julius front, I I've been saying it, it's a hard trade to make because 25 and 10 doesn't grow on trees. He was responsible for a lot of those regular season wins. 47 wins. Brunson was outstanding. He he was a star. Deserve to be an all-star, but Julius was right up there as an all-star and all-NBA player. And so I think they need to get, you know, comparable value or better in any trade that involves Julius Randle. You have to make sure that that you are improving the team because the bar has now been set higher again. Then they they finished two games from the Eastern Conference Finals. So I don't see Leon Rose and that regime going backwards. They're only going to look to go forward. So Julius Randle trade has to make sense for the betterment of the team. Yes, I agree with you, CP. And you mentioned the Philly situation, Minnesota. I would also keep an eye on Golden State just because Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, uh, their contract renewals are coming up, and you've got to pay Bob Myers if you want to keep him if you're Golden State ownership. So those are big bills to pay. I wonder if they're, you know, you get two out of three of those guys and they make a decision on the other, on the other one, particularly Clay Thompson. So I'm keeping an eye on that. And then, you know, Zach Levine in Chicago, I think that could go either way. But we know the Knicks and Bulls had kind of touched base during the season. They did touch base during the season. So I wonder if those talks kind of get reignited if Chicago's willing to listen on Levine. Right now, we're going to listen to Matt Spenley, uh, SNY social media guru, who joins us on the show. And he's going to relay a fan question to us. Matt, what's going on? Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Based off of all the conversations about what's coming up, I think one of the big decisions we spent a ton of time talking about all season was Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, and now obviously Josh Hart. Um, he's got a $12.9 million player option. I think we can expect him to decline that and become a free agent. A lot of discussion about him returning, and I think that was pretty much a given. Um, you know, After the Miami series, I think when you know, CP brought up the shooting issues that they had, him returning... Um, I still think we expect him to be back. But Nelson Benny is in the comments asking, can the Knicks sign both Hart and Quickly to extensions? So Quickly is a restricted free agent after this coming season. The Knicks picked up his option. Same thing with Obi Toppin. So, Ian, when we're talking about Josh Hart and Quickly, um, you know, Hart, obviously, they have to make a decision on. But what about Quickly? Do you think this is an offseason where they'll make a decision on an extension? I'm sure they'll discuss it with his, he and his representatives, and I'm sure they'll be looking for a more team-friendly number. And the thing with that extension is, right, it doesn't kick in, obviously, right away. So when you talk about a Josh Hart signing, yeah, his whatever it is, 16, 18, 19 million would kick in right away. But with quickly, it, it kicks in the following year. So at that point, you've got Evan Fournier's contract off your books if you haven't already moved him. And so that would enable the Knicks to avoid being any being in any tax uh, situation where they'd be penalized. So you look at it from that perspective and financially, you know, it makes sense for them to discuss it this offseason and to try to get something done this offseason because it's not like you would be putting yourself in jeopardy of any tax penalties when the new CBA kicks in. So they're, I think they're pretty well positioned to do that. I talked to Bobby Marks about that as well this morning, and he felt that the Knicks, when this new CBA kicks in, 
they're one of the teams that's that's well positioned that that won't be hurt, won't be penalized with those uh, new onerous penalties. And he also said, because of this CBA kicking in, not now but next season, you could expect a lot of trade movement uh, among some bigger names with teams trying to move pieces around because you're, it's going to be more difficult to do so this uh, the following offseason once the CBA kicks in. So I think those are all factors that come into play with the quickly talks and the extension, but also you're looking to make a trade. I'm sure teams are going to be putting quickly at or near the top of the, the list of players that they would want in that deal. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I guess what for I want to follow up you guys because with CP uh, excuse me with quickly John what did you make of like his postseason and, and like what did you see that kind of wasn't there for him that maybe was during the regular season That's a good question um you know I think it mostly came down to shot making you know he just one didn't shoot as well um you know he was so valuable for them uh off the bench in the regular season. He was my sixth man of the year. Uh, I voted him number one uh, over Mal- Malcolm Brogdon. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of disappointing that, you know, one, that he didn't play as well. Two, that the Knicks lost the bench minutes against Miami, who was sapped of depth with Hero and Oladipo both being out. Um, but I, I, I would I would try to think long term. He's he's still young. I think you 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 value the regular season contributions of him uh, more than the the off the postseason issues. Um, I think there's you know uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to change the subject a little bit, but I'm curious more about Obi Toppin mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. I like Mitchell Robinson and I like Isaiah Hartenstein, but I don't like Obi Toppin playing the four full time. He took mm-hmm. he took sixty percent of his shots from three point range this year, and that's just too high. Like too high. Like he's an athletic, um, dynamic big man who should be 
uh, frankly, you know, getting to the rim a lot more than he was. I didn't like that he became just a shooter for the most part in that offense. And I think that was just because, one, he was playing playing the four full time, right? Like, mm-hmm. And so when you brought up Robinson in, in sort of trade scenarios, I don't mind, you know, sort of trading one of the centers just so, you know, Toppin can be a four slash five and give you a little bit more dynamism with his offense um, and be more of a role man and, and, and attacking and, and less of a just a spot-up shooter like, like he was this past season. Yeah, I think a lot of Nick fans agree with you, John, in terms of getting him more um, involved in maybe the pick and roll and, and allowing him to create where he gets the basket more frequently. I mean, CP, you've been watching Obi Toppin for a while now. I mean, yeah. where do you think – the Knicks should go on him. They don't have to go anywhere because he's still in their contract for next season, but it is a period where you kind of have to make a decision. Where do you think the Knicks should go on OB and, and how do you see him kind of fitting into everything? Well, with, with Randall here, I, I don't see the future being bright for OB Toppin here. I, I think he ultimately gets dealt, whether it's this offseason or, or the trade deadline. Um, I, I just don't see it. With Julius Randall at the four, Obi's going to be relegated to those 10 to 12 minutes with Mitchell Robinson still being here and, and he had a good year. And then Isaiah Hartenstein came in in the second half of the year and not only provided the rim protection and rebounding, he also passed the ball fairly well. So I think he gave Tibbs a lot of what he was looking for, whether in the backup spot or as, as a, as a starter. And so I think those two guys could be here. And if they are along with Julius Randall, I, I don't see Obi Toppin having a future here with this team. Yeah, it's interesting. I know the Knicks and the Pacers prior to the deadline, most of the deadline, I think, had something, a framework in place, like a loose framework, and it was OB. And I think you look at the Pacers roster, you know, Chris Duarte, there's some duplication around him. So I think Indiana thought maybe that could work. And there was obviously ancillary pieces involved, uh, draft picks involved. They couldn't get a deal done, but maybe they revisit that at some point this offseason if they decide that, hey, we need to we need to free up that spot, or we don't think Obi can fit here long term. Interesting decision making there around Toppin and Randall, as it always is. And you look at another young Nick, who I think had a very strong postseason, R.J. Barrett. And if you're saying to me, and I don't know if this is this is how the Knicks are looking at it, but I would imagine to some degree you have to look at it this way: if you're bringing in another top player, another player who needs the ball, there's not enough to go around with Brunson, Randall, Barrett, and then that next player, player X. So it would be, you know, Barrett or Randall, I would assume, would go in some kind of trade. Would How hesitant would you be to move R.J. Barrett in some kind of package where you bring in, you know, a player in the middle of his career who you think could really help you, um, comparing that with where R.J. is and where he could be, John? Where do you see, like, his value in a big picture sense that way? You know, I wouldn't be too hesitant. I did like, I thought he was, I did like his postseason. I thought he was more intentional um, playing off the ball and making quick decisions. Um, that's what I, I really liked about He was super aggressive. I like him as a compliment, compliment to Brunson because he can play off the ball. And he like on that second side, he can be an attacker uh, from there. You know, I, obviously the shooting numbers just aren't there whether you know if he's not getting all the way to the basket then it can be a little bit of a struggle um his shooting is inconsistent from the perimeter even his sort of finishing ability if he's trying to finish in a crowd um or from anywhere away from the basket it's not great um 
but obviously there's still room to grow. And I do, I do think that the postseason is something to build on where he can be a really nice second side piece in a, in a, in an offense uh, where Brunson is featured. So I, I, I think, you know, there's, there's room to grow and, and I, I'm sort of encouraged a little bit by the postseason, but I'm not hesitant necessarily to include him on a trade that I think can really make a difference. Yeah, one thing, John, I thought like when he started to screen for Brunson or the Knicks did more guard-to-guard screening and, and wing-to-guard screening, he helped as a, as a release point in that scenario where Brunson was getting two cents at him. You mentioned Julius and, and Mitchell Robinson not being able to do enough there. I thought Barrett helped him there. Uh, CP, RJ, Julius, and, and player X, right? Where, like, How do you see that dy- dynamic playing out? And do you think because of for any reason, his value to another team or how he fits with the Knicks, would he be the guy to yeah. go in that team? I think he would. And even though I liked how he played, like John said, I loved how he played in that Heat series. You're looking for consistency from someone other than Brunson. And outside of game six, I thought RJ was that guy. He was very aggressive in attacking the rim. I thought he made great reads. He was passing well, getting to the free throw line. And so that was certainly encouraging. And he shot the ball from three fairly well and in at least three or four out of those six games. And so that was encouraging. But I think like the we saw in the Mitchell trade, I don't think the Knicks would be hesitant to move R.J. Barrett in a move that would significantly upgrade the team. I don't think they would move him in, in any sort of lateral moves, but it's something that would significantly upgrade the team. I don't think they would hesitate to do so. The poison pill clause is now removed as this new contract kicks in in the, in the, uh, in the new league year. And so I think that makes it a little bit easier for him to move. And I think he'd be a more attractive candidate in, in, in a combination with other young players and assets in a trade for a bigger player than a Julius Randle. And when you talk about like this bigger trade that may or may not happen, I was asking again, Bobby Marks from ESPN earlier today about the Knicks, what they could offer compared to what other teams could offer. He felt like Utah, OKC, because of young players and the picks, could surpass any Nick package. But he felt after that, the Knicks were kind of right in that group, that secondary group, in terms of what they could offer. And I'm sure, you know, teams would be asking for RJ in those scenarios. I want to hit on this quickly. Does anybody think Josh Hart is not going to be a Nick uh, next season? I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> John, what do you think? No, but I think the key is just to have him in the right role. Like, I like him as a guard coming off the bench more than as a small forward in the starting lineup like he was in Portland. Um, You know, CP talked about it like his size is an issue when he's trying to guard the Jason Tatums of the world. Um, So I think um, he was in a great role with the Knicks, and I think that was key. As a guard coming off the bench where his size isn't much of an issue, um, he doesn't have to guard the primary – offensive score on the other team 100%. Um, he could be that guy for, for, for a time, but I wouldn't want to sort of have him guarding Jason Tatum throughout a, a playoff series just because of the size issue. Yeah, I, I, I thought once he moved into the starting lineup in that Heat series, things really changed. Uh, the bench dynamic changed. I thought he his decision-making in terms of his shot selection, uh, he was very tentative because uh, he wasn't hitting those shots. The Heat weren't respecting him from three. And uh, and I just didn't see much confidence there. I like him off of that second unit. He can take he can take advantage of opposing teams' benches in transition, get rebounds, playmake, 
with that second unit, elevate guys like an Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly. I, I like Hart in that role, and I think he's back, hopefully at the right price. Don't You don't want to overpay, but you know maybe in the 15 to 17 range, I think that would be ideal for, for the Knicks. Yeah, now we're going to go to Matt Spenley. If I'm, if I'm running SNY, I'm giving him 15 to 17 to lock him in because he's super valuable for us. Matt, what question do you have for us? Ian, you flatter me. Pass that message along, will you? All right, send, me, send the emails out. Shoot the notes. One thing for me, too, on, on Hart that I just want to add, too, because I thought one of the things that really hurt them, even with how poorly quickly played in the playoffs, was just their lack of ball handler, and that's why Brunson was playing so many minutes. And I think Hart also suffered because of that because they relied on him a little bit more in the heat or full court pressing, putting all the pressure on the Knicks ball handler. And I also think that's why they didn't have any shots from their three-point shooters because there were very few opportunities from them. Um, This is a general point that the chat is talking about. A lot of different options, obviously. One they're discussing is DeMar DeRozan expiring contract this year with the Bulls. I think the Bulls are a bit aimless at this point. So, you know, um, CP DeRozan, is he a guy that you think could help when we're talking about the future of this team? Well, not for the future, but for the now. I think he'd be a piece that, you know, if it doesn't cost you as much on an expiring deal, you might have to look at another bucket getter. Now, he's not going to help you from three, but certainly as a guy that you can dish it down to and go out there and get you a bucket in the mid-range, that, that's one thing with the Knicks. Like, outside of Brunson, they really have no one else that can go out there and get you a mid-range shot. It's either threes or, or forcing it at the rim. And so uh, DeRozan, if at the right price, I think that would be an interesting pickup. You know what? There's there's strong ties here between people in the organization and DeRozan. I think he was he was seriously considering the Knicks last time he was free. If the Knicks, I think, had, had been able to pull off a trade for Lillard, uh, if that had come to fruition, DeRozan was coming here too. So I wouldn't rule out the idea if if he has a say in it, he wants to leave Chicago. I think that he you know would consider New York based on past all season and, and how those went and. You know, I, we haven't discussed the coach. We've seen a lot of coaches get fired from successful teams, uh, most recently Doc Rivers in Philadelphia today. But Tom Thibodeau, I don't have any reason to believe that he's not coming back. I think there, this is this is not the time for the Knicks to make a coaching change based on where he's gotten this team. I understand there's, you know, maybe people uh, inside and outside the organization who think, you know, he'll get you to a certain place and then you need somebody else to get you further. And, and, and maybe that's the case, but right now it does not seem like the time for them to make a move there. I would I would assume he's back. I have every belief that he'll be back. John, CP, we'll start with CP. What do you think? Tim's back? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's back. Uh, if you would have asked me that in November, December, I probably would have said no, but he turned things around. He got the team to the fifth seed, 47 wins, and two games away from the Eastern Conference Finals. I thought that was phenomenal. And if you, if you take a look back at it, that's two years in the playoffs out of three, one with the fifth seed, one with the fourth, and, and you got there. And then, then you won a first-round game. You got through the Spider-Mitchell storyline, gentlemen sweep. And then, uh, like I said, two games away from the Eastern Conference Finals. But he, he needs to make those adjustments. Uh, the offense, they need to take a look at the offense. As I said to start off the show, the Knicks need to find some three-point efficiency in that offense and some more ball movement. Maybe consider getting an offensive coordinator to take some of those duties off of Tibbs' hands. I didn't like some of the rotations in that Miami series. I thought he left the Knicks high and dry out there in terms of just having pedestrian lineups that didn't have optimal shooting at all. And so there were some some adjustments that he left out there against in that Heat series that you would love to see him work on, but uh, certainly needs to tweak the offense as well. John, with you statistically, you know, Tibbs has been in the league for a long time. 
I think probably unfairly a little bit. He gets pegged as strictly a defensive coach. He's had some teams that have have had a lot of success offensively, including this one in the regular season. Did you see anything different from this Nick offense that you hadn't seen from Tibbs before? What was your kind of thought on the offense as a whole? Uh, I thought the, the difference in the offense was Jalen Brunson. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, if you just look at compare last year from this year, um, you know, the Knicks weren't a, a team that moved the ball very well last year either. Um, but if you look at their numbers this year, they improved in isolation efficiency. They proved in pick and roll ball handler efficiency um, dramatically um, in both of those categories. And that's mostly Jalen Brunson, obviously uh, Randall improving. Um, you know, having a much better year than he did last season um, is also a factor in that. But I think they, you know, Jalen Brunson has established himself as the guy in New York. And I think now going forward, they, they say, all right, how do we best compliment him? Or maybe that may have been a little bit of a question uh, going into, into, into this season, just because he hadn't been in that role before. Um, whereas now they know, you know, they've got themselves an all-star guard um, you know, a guy that they can build an offense around, um, but also a guy that they have to sort of make up for uh, defensively. You know, obviously he he got picked on a little bit in the in the playoffs defensively. Um, so I think going forward, both the front office and Tom Thibodeau know what they're dealing with or what they have in 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 their point guard and can can sort of plan around that. Whereas maybe a year ago they didn't necessarily know that they had such a star offense uh, such an offensive star on their hands yeah i mean you know that's a, that's a big plus just having the consistency there knowing what you have and, and playing around that and we're going to wrap soon but we're going back to matt spenley now for a fan question all right guys let's close it out this isn't a fan question this is a me question all i right. want one bold prediction from you guys on how the Knicks offseason will go. I'm going to start with CP. I'll say mine quickly. Yeah. I think Ian mentioned before with Bobby Marks, a lot of potential guys on the move in the trade market this offseason. I think we spend a lot of time talking about the fit with the Knicks, and then the Knicks make you know a marginal move here or there. We're going to see them go about their business. That's what I expect. That might not be bold. So, I don't know. CP, be bolder than me. Oh, <laughs> man. I don't know how bold, man. Hey, I'll start with tonight. I think the Knicks get back into the draft. They, uh, they screw Mark Cuban once again and get the 11th pick of the NBA draft. That's bold. That's bold. John, you got anything? I'll just say I think there's a shakeup in the front line with those four guys that we talked about, mm-hmm. Robinson, Hartenstein, Randall, Toppin. One of those guys goes just so that they can maybe um, find some uh, an asset or, or, or maybe improve on the wings. And because there's some overlap with those four guys, that, that they can they can still be just as good on the front line with, with three of the four and then in, improve on the wings. My bold one, you know, we've seen this front office be pretty conservative, take the incremental improvement route. Most trade deadlines, most offseasons, they were close on Donovan Mitchell last offseason. I think because of what happened this year, timeline with everything, that next CBA kicking in, making it more difficult to make a big trade. I think this is the offseason that you see a significant move from the Knicks, and that would lead to what John referenced, you know, a roster shakeup, maybe the front line and other places. So that's that's my bold prediction, and I like CPs. It's going to be interesting tonight to see how that lottery shakes out, but uh, that'll do it 
for us, gentlemen. We are going to sign off for now, and we'll definitely be back sometime after the lottery. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you to Matt Spenley. Thank you to CP the Franchise. And thank you to John Schumann for providing fantastic insight on what should be a fascinating Nick offseason. 